Welcome to the News and Views podcast by the Fintech Times. Established in 2016, the Fintech Times is a global multimedia news outlet centered around the world's first leading fintech newspaper. We report on the latest and brightest ideas from the fintech world. Follow the conversation using hashtag TFC News and Views and follow us at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Polly and I'm a journalist at the Fintech Times. Hi, I'm Francis Bignall. I'm a junior journalist at the Fintech Times. Hi, my name is Tyler Pave and I'm a junior journalist here at the Fintech Times. Hey guys, Tyler Francis, thank you for joining me again today. How are you guys doing this week? Yeah, Polly, I'm not too bad. It's been a busy week, but oh, it's, been, it's been good. It's been good. How are you? Yeah, I'm not bad at all. Again, very busy week. I was at an event on Tuesday, so I feel like I just haven't caught up from that. But otherwise, all good. Tyler, how are you? Yes, it's going really well today. Um, just really busy working. We've been looking at a lot of uh, cybersecurity this week. So it's been a really interesting week, but busy as ever. Perfect. Okay, so just to give our listeners a quick preview, Francis, what are you going to be talking about this week? I'm going to be talking about Yonder's research on how different age demographics have responded to digital payment uh, methods in the pandemic. Amazing. And Tyler? I'm going to be looking at the figures of NTT data and how it shows disparity between men and women who work in the fintech industry. Amazing. So we've got that to look forward to. Um, but I'll kick it off as, as usual, even though maybe we should start changing things up a bit. Um, but the article I wanted to look at this week was uh, Deloitte has partnered with Innovate Finance to launch an app and educational program for peoples in Scotland in the hope of accelerating financial education. Um, so this app lets students gain access to information that will help them better manage their own personal finances, whilst also developing their understanding of financial inclusion, banking, mobile payments and cryptocurrency. Uh, so through the use of the technology, students will have the opportunity to learn about how mobile payments work, how their data is used, and the role technology plays in the evolution of financial services. The aim through the app and the programme itself is to build knowledge and demonstrate the value in pursuing fintech as a career, as well as giving young people the chance to learn more about the role that fintech and finance already plays in their day-to-day lives. Um, and following the launch of the app, uh, Deloitte is also working with Skills Development Scotland and Fintech Scotland on the delivery of a pilot project within five schools. Um, and the plan is to roll out the app to all schools in Scotland in 2022. Kent McKenzie, Deloitte's Risk Analytics and Fintech Lead for Scotland, uh, said a variety of reports over the last few years have highlighted the risk we run in sleepwalking into a digital skills gap. To avoid this, it is vital to support talent and skills development in fintech as we look towards a digital future. Um, And I completely agree with this statement. Um, And I really think that one of the things I wish we talked about more is the need for greater financial education. Money can be a very tricky topic in life and talking about your finances can so often just be so taboo, which in my opinion is just a bit silly since whether we like it or not, the world and our lives are fueled by money. And there are very few ways that you can avoid that. Um, In my opinion, you know, the sooner people learn about money, the better. And starting in school is such a good idea. For example, I mean, I recently bought a house and I had to take out a mortgage. And let me tell you, it was possibly one of the most frustrating experiences of my entire life because I had no clue about mortgages or had no idea about that kind of, you know, that world. And not to toot my own horn or anything, but I'm a fairly intelligent person. You know, I've got a master's degree and I'm a financial technology journalist and even I couldn't figure it out. Um, So if, you know, someone had sat me down as a teenager and explained to me, this is a mortgage, this is what it does, etc. Maybe then it wouldn't have been such a big issue. 
And the idea of just understanding money and finances is just it's so important just for later in life. And I think starting early would just solve a lot of the issues that we have, you know, with people in their 20s and later on that struggle with like budgeting and things like that. Starting at a school age is just it's just such a good idea. And I just cannot get enough of this. And I do hope they kind of roll this app out all throughout the UK, not just in Scotland. Um, but I'd love to get your guys thoughts on this. Francis financial education where do you stand on the topic i think it's hard not to agree that it is something that should be spoken about a lot more a topic we discussed a couple of weeks ago uh, i believe was how people in el salvador are growing up learning about blockchain technology and cryptocurrency and i think this idea can really be developed across every education system the importance of growing up with financial education is people don't feel like they're outsiders looking in when they're older. Personally, I grew up with the impression that only the bank should look after my money. So I never used any paytex growing up like PayPal, any of those. And that has made life difficult because when I'm with friends and they say, can we use PayPal to pay you back for something? I don't have it. So and I still don't have it for some reason. I don't have it, but if I had better education growing up, I really think that I would have been more confident to use these apps. And I think this can be applied to cryptocurrencies as well, as these are only growing in popularity. And the more educated the youth are now, in the same way that we grew up with mobile phones and we're very digitally savvy now, people can be financially savvy as well if they have this education at a young age. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I think it's interesting because there's almost now with the rise of fintech, like you were saying, how you didn't really use fintechs growing up and that was a bit of an issue. You've almost got two tracks here. You've got finance in general and like managing your money in general and like understanding how to budget and that kind of thing. But then you've also got, like you're saying, this new rise of fintech and all these different fintechs that can do a lot of different things for you and that can help you with the initial understanding your finances but can also do so many other things as well um so i think it's it's great that uh, this program is kind of focusing on those two things um and i like what you say about crypto as well because like especially with like the hype crypto are getting at the moment everyone's interested in crypto um having you know t sitting teenagers down and explaining this is bitcoin this is what it does this is what happens if, you know, you lose money on Bitcoin, blah, 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 blah. That's going to make people a lot more savvy on the things and also kind of a lot safer, but still get to invest or use things to, you know, to understand that market a bit better. So I think, yeah, that's super interesting for sure. And just building on that as well, there was the Squid Game scam that occurred recently. But if more people had had financial education in cryptocurrencies, they would know that they should have researched what the purpose of it was before investing so much money and people may not have lost as much as they did yeah absolutely like completely agree with you um tyler what are your thoughts well polly i was really really happy to see that you were discussing this article i i really enjoyed writing it and when i was reading about the purpose of the app and why it had come come into fruition i was really excited i i think personally that it's such a wonderful way to to spread knowledge and I think knowledge is so powerful and we have to look as well about how we're accessing knowledge these days and the truth of the matter is that a lot of this is through app-based interfaces so I think 
it, it's been perfectly designed to 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 penetrate that sort of younger demographic, and I, I was really really impressed with all of the work that had gone into it. I think what's also important to consider here is what are the ma- macroeconomic impacts going to be of of schemes like this one? You you know I. As as you mentioned, Francis, and as as you touched upon, Polly, I think that financial education is so important, and knowledge is power. And when people are are powerful with their money, you know, regardless of how much money they're handling on a day to day basis or what their bank account figures are, I think I think people having this power of knowledge is really really important for economic development. And I think it it's going to take the economy forward. When people when people are have this sort of arsenal of of being able to identify trends and being able being able to to know what's good what's bad in finance and financial services, so I I was really really happy to 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 see it being launched in in Scotland and uh, hopefully it'll have a, a wide adoption rate across the rest of the country. Yeah, absolutely. I think everything you've said is completely on the mark. Um, and as well, just sort of building on that, I think the idea that, you know, obviously we've got all these new fintechs, all these new financial companies uh, being created, you know, now and in the future. We need people, you know, we need the talent to fill those companies. Uh, so things like this are super important for that as well. Um, moving on then, Francis, your article kind of sort of relates to this one in a very strange way. Um, and I'll explain my reasoning later if necessary, but why don't you kick us off with what you've got? It really does. And it's sort of going from one end of the spectrum in financial education for young people to going to the other end of the spectrum and sort of digital adoption in the older generations. Yonder, the strategic consultancy company have released research that shows that younger generations are not the only ones adopting digital payment technologies in that, in fact, over 65s are keeping up. Older generations are not the digital dinosaurs people (laughs) presume them to be or perceive them to be. 71% of over 25 surveyed said they did not need nor did they feel reliant on cash during the pandemic. And an even more impressive stat is that the study reveals that they are the highest users of contactless card payments, with 91% having used this method to pay in the last year. The pandemic has caused a massive influx of e-commerce and online payments and everything moving online. And the older generations didn't miss out on this as the over 65s, 62% used online payments and 2% used BMPL, buy now, pay later, which as we've discussed in recent weeks and posted a lot on the site is a huge, huge, huge popular payment method. When it comes to the newer forms of payments, such as cryptocurrency, QR codes, and voice assistant payments, the baseline averages across all demographics are low, standing at 3%, 4%, and 2% respectively. Yet, the over 65s are not the lowest demographics when it comes to the adoption of these technologies, except for cryptocurrency, with 0% having tried this payment method. However, 2% of the over 65s had used QR codes and 1% had tried voice assistants. I haven't even used voice assistant payments yet. One interesting fact pointed out by Manfred Abram, the the co-CEO of Yonder, was that the older generations have an above average use of money management apps. And that could be a reason why they don't feel the need to use 
services like buy now pay later because they are so in control to begin with they don't feel that they need to spread out their repayment costs over a period of time and what i found so interesting about this article is that it takes away the idea that the older generations are digital dinosaurs and that they rely on cash i remember reading a lot of bbc articles when writing about the pandemic's impact on digitization and how we were moving towards a cashless economy and a huge argument made by the pro cash people was that older generations who weren't digitally savvy were going to suffer but this shows that they're clearly open to the adoption and i think that's just an, a great thing tyler could i get your thoughts on this yes of course well i i think that definitely it's it's a really, really good figure to see. And it, it sort of shows the wide-scale adoption of, of payment technology. I think a lot when, we, when we've when we been talking about COVID and, and how these new technologies have come in and who's using them, I think that, you know, we sometimes seem to gravitate towards these sort of younger generations. As as we mentioned in, in when we were discussing Polly's article previously, but I, I think it's it's really promising and it shows that these technologies are usable and they are understandable. And, you know, yes, they're not the the main consumers of of these technologies, but it does show that they're they're achieving what they set out to do, which is to make people's lives easier, especially during the pandemic. You know, over 65s are uh well possibly not not so much now, but during the height of the pandemic, they were the most vulnerable. So it's really, really good to see that that these technologies are, are being adopted. I think what fintechs really need to ask themselves now is how how can we cater for for this demographic of people who who are sort of in between, you know, they're sort of in in between maybe I shouldn't say in between, but on the outskirts of of fintech understanding and fintech education you know people who are supplying these services should be asking themselves how can we make this accessible to everybody you know what what are the differences between somebody who's 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 16 and 60 you know how are they going to use it i think it's a really it opens up a lot of really interesting questions but overall it's it's very good to see that these these technologies are being embraced by this demographic and I think it will it will change and shape the future of, of these services very differently in the future. I think you've really hit the nail on the head there in that the whole point of fintechs and of their big selling point is that they're accessible and that financial inclusion is a, is a buzzword we hear a lot in the fintech industry. And by enabling over 65s and the older generation to continue to use these technologies it just shows that they are hitting every single mark and every single objective that they set out to do and it, again sort of relating to what you said and how it this ties in with polly's article is financial education shouldn't just be something for young people it should be something that's continuous and ongoing and i think looking forward like you said what can fintechs do i don't want to say it's dumbing it down but it's how do the over 65s how do the the 40 to 50 year olds what they need to identify the best way that people can learn and adapt to the new technologies and i think that really will be the next the next stepping stone in in success for fintechs polly can i get your thoughts 
Yeah, so I kind of want to just build on what you just said, Francis, about the, you know, the dumbing it down. Obviously, not a, a nicer way of putting it than that. Um, but I was in an event on Tuesday and in one of the sessions we were talking about buy now, pay later and, you know, the good and the bad, that sort of thing. Obviously, very irrelevant to what we're talking about now. But what is irrelevant is that one of the things that the speakers said was that the average reading age is 11 um, of all adults. The average reading age is 11. I can't remember what their source is. So you're going to have to take it with a pinch of salt on that front. But that just really kind of struck with me in that if people have this a reading age of 11 then clearly they're not understanding some of the things that get put out information in this case you know information about finances that kind of thing so clearly like we're saying fintech does need to make it simpler finances need to be simpler and spoken about in a simpler way there's always a habit of just generally in life isn't even directed at anything or anyone in particular but i think people often have a habit of you know, using the jargon and explaining things in a way that makes you feel like you should have already known it. And this is true for like places in every industry. Like I was saying in the front, the mortgage application, my mortgage application was so full of jargon that I had no clue about. And then when I actually sat down with the advisor and he explained it all, it was like, well, why couldn't you just put that in the first place? Um, So I agree with that point. But then going back to the original article, I think one of the main things to take away is that the older generation aren't stupid. Um, And I think a lot of the time people tend to kind of see them as so, like you were saying, Francis, how we were talking about at the very beginning of the pandemic, that, oh, how are are the older generation is going to pay for things? They won't understand contactless cards. They're not going to stand online banking, yada, yada, yada. Older people aren't stupid. They, They know what they're on about. I mean... There is going to be some friction in the uptake, maybe, because, you know, they're they're older and maybe they weren't, you know, they weren't brought up with this technology in the same way that we were as kids. But in the same breath, you know, these are people that have been living and working in society for their whole lives, you know, and 65, someone who is 65 isn't really, you know, that's not that old, <laughs> like at all. People who are 65 know how to use computers. People who are 65 know how to use tech. Some of them know how to use tech better than I can. Um, And so I think people forget that older generations, you know, once you turn 65, it's like suddenly, oh, no, completely stupid, can't handle any kind of technology, any kind of transaction like that, when that's just really not the case. These are intelligent people. And so it's almost very unsurprising entirely that, uh, they have uptaken contactless payments and all the other technology as a result of the pandemic, because why wouldn't they? <laughs> that, you know, there's almost no reason for them. Um, so, yeah, I I just I think it's great. And it just kind of shows us that you don't need to count out the older generations just yet for things like this. As you've said, all of that, I've had a huge smile on my face because it is so true. They're not stupid. They can adapt and use technology the same way that we can. I mean, they're probably using PayPal. I'm not even using PayPal. The thing I find more interesting is that you've got to remember, like, so for my, for example, my granddad is in his 80s. He was born in the 30s. Um, so he has lived 80 years of technological advancements. You know, in the 30s, he was taking baths outside. Then they got fridges in, like, you know, the 50s and 60s. That was a new thing. And then, you know, come com- the 80s and 90s, they got computers. And then now with all the other things we have now these are you know the older generations of people that have lived through 
you know, almost a century of technological advancement and they have adapted and they have grown with it. So I just, yeah, you just really can't count people out. They have been through more than we have. So why would they not understand a contactless card payment? You know, it just, it doesn't make any sense. Not to me anyway. I think one thing that you touched on before as well, that sort of ties in with what you've just said is that you mentioned jargon and I think overcomplication, there's this idea that overcomplicating things makes you sound smart because someone else doesn't understand it. When I think that's the complete wrong attitude to have, instead of trying to make yourself feel better by making others seem dumb for lack of a better word, why not make things simpler and then everyone can understand, everyone can, it's the whole point of FinTech, it's just inclusion. And I really think that this research goes to prove that fintechs are doing the right thing they are being inclusive and they're making steps to continue to do so but yeah uh tyler what was your article this week well thank you francis Uh, i really really enjoyed uh, our discussion on on your article what i would like to discuss today is um something that we published this week about the data of uh ntt data And what they were looking at was the disparities between men and women working in the fintech space. Now, back in October, our readers might remember that we ran an entire month dedicated to women in fintech. And Polly, you did such an amazing job on that. I mean, it was really one of the centerpieces of, of of our content this year. And I I, I was I was so so happy to work on it, but we just got these uh, figures in from NTT Data uh, at the beginning of this week, and it showed a massive massive disparity uh, between women and men who work in the industry. Alarmingly, seventy five percent of the women that responded to their survey uh, reported that they felt they had fewer opportunities for progression in the industry. That's 70, 75%. I mean, that's a massive, massive figure. When you're working, when you're in your professional life, you know, you want to see a future for yourself. You want to see the next stepping stone. And 75% of women aren't seeing that stepping stone in front of them. So it's a really, really concerning figure. On top of this, you know, 60% of the respondents said they were going to leave the industry which will only exacerbate the the imbalance between men and women. Now, why are they leaving? Well, as I sort of touched upon before, 42% of, of respondents said there was a, a lack of opportunity uh, for them in the industry. Now, what I would like to do is just marry this data with the the recently published data of PwC. Now, what we see uh, PwC's uh, data now. If anybody would like to have a look at this themselves, that is linked to uh, is linked in the article that I'm discussing. Uh, but three percent of females on the PwC data say that technology actually wasn't their first career choice, and seventy eight percent of of students that they surveyed couldn't even name a famous female working in technology. So you know. As much work as we are doing to to pioneer women in the industry, that this problem still remains, you know, and you know we can we can look back to the data of NTT data, and and of their respondents, they asked, you know, are there enough women in senior positions? Now, thirty five percent. Now, this is even a low figure, but thirty five percent of men said yes, there are enough women in senior positions. 
And but even more alarmingly, only 12% of women agreed there was enough senior women leading the way. So what can people do? And this is something that we I sort of tried to touch upon in, in my articles. How can businesses retain female talent if if that talent doesn't feel like it has anywhere to go, if it doesn't feel like it's growing or being nurtured, what can they do? Well, thankfully, NTT Data approached this question in, in their study, and 43% of respondents said that uh, better training would, would, would aid in their retention to their job. I think, you know, training and, and understanding as as has been a central core focus for this podcast, you know, understanding and training and education is just so, so important. And I think it's really one of the cornerstones to to sort of remedying this this very, very, very serious issue, you know. In a, in a similar note, you know, 48% said that better coaching was needed for, for women in fintech. And this was something that we touched upon in our Women in Fintech series back in October, you know, how are you creating a rope ladder? How are you how are you aiding women in the industry? And a lot of them, a lot of the responses that I dealt with personally was was mentioning things like oh, I'm coaching, I'm, you know, I'm I'm working with other women in lower positions. Um, you know, and of the other data from NTT data, it said transparency about the gender pay gap was was a really, really big point. You know, 45% of women argued that there should be more transparency about around the gender pay gap. Now, what we understand about the gender pay gap is it's a very, very complex issue and it's a, there's a lot of different factors that, that contribute towards the, the making of a gender pay gap, you know. I... When when we look at economics, we have to look about, you know, what are what are the cultural norms of of women in the workplace? What what what's holding women back? You know, what is accumulating this figure? And I think that's something that NTT have really tried to to try to answer in in their survey, or maybe not answer, but at least highlight. Um, so I think there really needs to be. A, better level of transparency around gender pay and and women getting paid what they're owed you know like I I spoke to a lot of pe- women back in October who just felt that they weren't getting what they were due and I I think it's a, that is a real big cornerstone of, of this fight against this issue and also championing women in the industry 33% of women said that that would help them retain their positions, you know. If we go back to the data of PwC, you know, 78% of students can't name a famous female technology worker. So I think there just needs to be, it's such it's such a big issue and it has so many different branches that you almost look at the picture and you're like, oh my God, you know, where do we start? And I think, I think, there just needs to be a real drive in 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 women in fintech and not just in fintech but across different sectors as well and especially you know where there are great majorities of men working in one sector or great majorities of women working in another sector we need to sort of evaluate our position as a society as 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 who's holding what and who's doing what and if they're not doing that well why aren't they doing that what's preventing them you know, I think this article really opened 
a lot of questions and it, it really, I, I think it's really important that this dialogue is happening. I would love to know what, what your guys' thoughts are. You know, Polly, what, what are your thoughts on this data? I mean, as the woman on the podcast, um, I have to agree. I mean, I think women making up only 23% of the STEM workforce is just not good enough. You know, there's an issue here, um, not only about the amount of women in the sector, but also the beliefs of male counterparts within the sector that, you know, things are looking better than they are sort of thing, you know, like with 68% believing women have equal progression opportunities clearly well maybe not clearly but it, it seems to be that they don't um so and but people thinking that they do is part of the issue because if if you think everything's okay you're not gonna try and change everything because you think everything's fine um and I, I don't want to get too much into uh, gender politics as this is a fintech podcast and i could absolutely talk all day on the subject um but i will say that the fact that 68 percent of men in tech believe women have equal progression opportunities I think is particularly interesting as it kind of harks back to sort of what is your interpretation of equality? What is your interpretation of being, you know, a diverse company? So, for example, if you have a boardroom of 10 executives and one of them is a woman, does that mean you've got equality? Is that a diverse boardroom? I mean, for me, I'd say no. One person in a sea of others doesn't mean that you have diversity. Um, a lot of the time, it probably means that you've just ticked the box. You know, you've ticked the box. You've got a woman executive. Amazing. Perfect. Equality. Amazing. Um, and I think it's just such a serious issue that already we don't quite know how to solve it. I mean, obviously, there are lots of ways that we can solve it. But like you were saying, Tyler, it's it's a big beast to try and tackle. And if a lot of people within the industry think, you know, that we have equality and that everything is OK, then we're just not going to start tackling it in that way. And I think what's also important to highlight is that women's experiences can be different. So like you mentioned um, within the article, Tyler, uh, flexibility is very key in the workplace. And I think flexibility is key for both genders, not just women. Uh, but a lot of workplaces don't have that flexibility. What happens if you need to go and pick your children up at three o'clock when school ends? Can you do that? Does your job allow you to do that? And that's whether you're a man or a woman. Equality isn't just about women's experiences it is about men's experiences too um and i think one of the key things that i just want to really hammer home is the lack of role models so during our women in fintech focus i ran a webinar on the topic and the one thing that they all said would help bring more women into fintech and you know i guess the wider tech industry in general is to champion women's successes and have role models that these people can look up to women high up in a company that can show you how it's done and then if they've done it then you can do it too. Um, and what's great within fintech, I do have to say, is that we do have a lot of fantastic female CEOs, executives, and just generally really great uh, female role models. So Joanne Dewar from GPS, and Bowden from Starling, Romy Savova from Pension B. They are just some examples of the plethora of amazing women that we have within the industry. Uh, but we can still do more. And it's worrying to me that some people in STEM don't think that we need to do more, that it's already equal. And that is, I think, the biggest concern. How can you change something? How can you change a problem when 68% of men don't think it's a problem in the first place? Um, that's sort of my key key takeaway of that. Oh, no, absolutely. And you've raised some, some really, really good points there. I mean, you, you know, like... Exactly. How how are you going to fight something if 68% don't believe anything's wrong? And, you know, I, I think I just want to go back to what you said about the interpretation of 
of equality, the, the perception of equality. I, you know, I think that's a, a lot of where the problem maybe begins. Maybe the people who can, who have the power and can make the difference, don't believe that that the problem is serious enough or or you know peaked enough to 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 to, to put action into place. I mean, Francis, what are, what are your thoughts on this? I think one of the saddest statistics that you mentioned, Tyler, was that over 60% of women have considered leaving the tech sector. And I think one of the biggest problems is that retention of women in tech is just at such a low, low number. Our Women in Fintech month highlighted how important a team was. And this is highlighted in 70% agreeing that encouragement is what's needed. And I want to build on what Polly said and that if women have a role model to look up to then they're going to feel more inspired but I don't think that's enough I think the team the men and the women in that team they need to encourage each other that's the only way people are going to feel that they can improve if everyone's being shot down or being told that they're not good enough they're going to have no inspiration to continue working there they're going to want to leave and that is talent that's leaving and it's ruining the idea of a diverse workplace because, as Polly said, one one person or one anomaly in a field of of men, let's say, or a woman in a in a field of men, that isn't diverse. That's just check, uh, checking a tick box, and that isn't good at all because a diverse workplace is essential for success. You need ideas coming from all sorts of people, and I really think that coaching and encouragement are the two main factors to retaining. Uh, women in tech and in doing so that's going to create a more diverse workplace it's going to create more opportunities for women to succeed I hope and I just think it's bizarre and it's a real shame that 60% feel that they're not having the support that they need and that they feel like the opportunities aren't available to them and I think something really needs to be done and I think the best way to start that off is just encouragement working as a team it's yeah i think that working as a team is the best way to handle this oh no i would absolutely agree with with everything that that you've all said and um you know it is it is the ugly truth of the industry of of a lot of industries um and hopefully you know the people who can make a difference will, will see the way forward and you, you know, I, I hope in the future that we, we start receiving a lot more data that shows that this this problem is balancing out, that, that, that women aren't leaving the industry and and that the, the, the female sector is actually beginning to hold a lot more influence. I, I think uh, I think that's what we can hope for in, in the future. But uh, yes, I, I, I agree with everything that both of you have said. So thank you for your thoughts. Fantastic. So moving on then, just quickly to round us off, we're going to do uh, what we learned this week. So every week, obviously, a lot of things come through our desks, being on the editorial team, um, and we all constantly are learning new things about fintech and the industry. So we thought, what better way to end the podcast than to share them with our listeners? Uh, So Francis, what did you learn this week? This week, I wrote an article on buy now, pay later as if it was regulated more, could it improve your credit check, uh, credit score? And I think the main thing to learn from that article was that buy now, pay later is a form of credit. There's a big, big misunderstanding and misconception that using buy now, pay later won't affect your credit score. 
But I mean, like, for example, if you had applied, if you'd, when you applied for your mortgage, if you had buy now, pay later, the lenders would have looked at that. And I think a lot of people seem to forget that. So that's it this week. Buy now, pay later is a form of credit. Fantastic. And Tyler, what have you learned this week? Well, I have been looking at the figures from Veritas's latest report, um, which showed that actually, you know, we've seen a huge steam ahead uh, in the fintech world as a result of the pandemic. But one of the things that's being left behind as, as things accelerate forward, at least according to the data of Veritas, is that, uh, you know, data security is is really an aspect that, that really needs more attention. And I think it's a really important it's a really important thing to consider in the financial services when this data is so sensitive. What Veritas has pointed out in, in their in their figures is that, you know, financial service providers will have to spend even more to to make sure that their security standards are up to notch with where their with how much they've they've accelerated in the rest of their services. Everything has to remain in tandem with everything else. And um, that's one of the main things that I've learned this week. Amazing. And then just to finish us off, what I learned this week. Um, so I don't know if I've mentioned it at all on the podcast this week, but I was at an event uh, earlier. I went to Fintech Connect uh, in London. And one of the sessions that I went to uh, was about Fintech PR trends. And what I've learned this week is the word Finfluencer or fintech influencer, if you will. So a finfluencer, you know, is a, a person who is very high up in the fintech industry, uh, very sort of high status, know a lot, people turn to them to understand their wisdom and their knowledge, and they are sort of leading the way for fintech. And I just thought finfluencer was a great word and maybe one we'll see a lot more in the coming years. Hopefully so. I, I would start to consider myself a Finfluencer. That's the thing, you know. I think we're all influencers in our own special way. In our own special way. <laughs> Brilliant speaking to you guys. Look forward to speaking to you again next week. Amazing. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to the News and Views podcast by the FinTech Times. Don't miss next week's episode and continue the conversations using hashtag TFT News and Views and follow us at the FinTech Times.